You know, people have their opinions on music. But as the church, we are all agreement in God's word. And when God's word is sung or spoken or preached or proclaimed, we are ministered to because of it. I had a conversation with somebody about a week ago. They said, man, I tell you, the music just blessed me so much. And it's because the music is the proclamation of the word of the Lord. That's what ministers to us so much. And I'm so thankful for David and a choir that recognizes the value of God's word that they lead us to the throne with it. And I'm so thankful for them very much. I'm also very thankful that we didn't have our mass exodus of our boys and girls this morning because I was prepared to do everything I could to stop you uh, of running out because this morning um, we're going to continue celebrating what God has done in our church through our staff because today we salute our children's fearless leader and you must be fearless to lead children's ministry, our very own Mr. Ben Tinley. Yeah. Look at that guy. Look at that guy. Clean shape. Look at that. Love it. We've been spotlighting our staff during Minister Appreciation Month, and here we are about a week and a half before Ben's two-year anniversary with us, uh, and we get to uh, celebrate God uh, for bringing he and Abby and Cooper to us to lead our children and families as our children and families pastor. So as Ben comes up, here's a few little details about Ben. He's an Auburn graduate. He is, uh, okay, uh, he is a white truck bro. And, uh, and no clapping for that. Uh, and uh, I had to write this one down. He is the winner of the 2019 Volunteer Center's Volunteer of the Year Award given by our Chamber of Commerce and an overall neat freak. So Ben's going to come share with us how God was moving in his life to lead us to Westmead. So Ben, tell us about it. Well... God does some incredible things in our life. Yes, He does. I was reminded just a couple weeks ago, sitting in David Bertershaw's office, asking him a couple questions and getting um, his advice, just pouring out of the the wisdom, of the, of the fountain of wisdom that he is. And and a couple of things were reminded to me in in that conversation. Um, that play into how I got here. One is there are times in our lives when God, um, whenever he leads us, it's we are like holding his hand step by step. Every single thing goes exactly like we think it's going to because he's showing us every little step, one after the other, one after the other, one after the other. We're never surprised, we're never shocked because God has shown us exactly and he's walking with us through specifically what is taking place and how and why and where and when. And then there are those times where you sit back and all of a sudden you, you look back and maybe it's six months or maybe it's two years or five years and you go, oh my gosh, 
Look at what God did. That's right. He never clued us in. He never brought us into the to the situation. We we just all of a sudden look up one day and see that God has done something incredible, and we had no idea how it was working itself out. And that's my story of showing up and ending up at Westmead. About four and a half years ago, on my six minute drive home from our church in Memphis to our house, God made it clear to me it was time for me. And time for my time there to be over with. It wasn't out of ill will. It wasn't out of frustration. Honestly, it was we, we had overcome some things, and things were really looking good. It was a church plant, and so there were some some growing pains and things that the church itself had to go through. And and in a six minute drive home, it wasn't. I've got another opportunity for you, or um, I want you to look into something else, or I know you're tired and weary, so go. It was. It was literally, Ben, this is what I brought you here for. You've worked through that. You've been part of that process to to get where we are now. And so what I brought you here for is complete. It's time to go on a six-minute drive home. I've always said, God, I need a two-by-four to the forehead. I'm not smart. Some people, I'm jealous of some people that can look out and see the leaves blow in a certain way and hear the voice of God. I'm not that. I need a two-by-four to the forehead for me to understand and see what God wants. But it was moving, which literally, within two or three months, we knew we were coming to Decatur from that point. Did not, was not looking, did not have anything out there waiting on us. It was just that God began to open up doors. And it was coming to Decatur uh, that the, the other side of the situation started. Some of you know I was at a church uh, in, in the Decatur area before coming here, and um, not to go into any details, but it was a little bit deeper of a situation than what we might have expected walking into it. There was some, uh, a little bit more going on than we would have, have anticipated. And so there was a lot of questions of God, why, how, what, why, are you, why, why am I here, why did you bring me here, why did we pack up and move, we had it good, and now we're in a situation that's not as good, and it's a struggle, and there are things that happen, and it was like God just didn't answer. That happens sometimes when we feel like God is distant to us, and we wonder what What's going on? And we, we search for answers and we don't feel like we're hearing it as fast or as quickly or on a six-minute commute like we would prefer. But now today I'm able to look back and see how God orchestrated an incredible thing because God put me in a situation where I, I was in, in student ministry and in that I began to spend time with a group of student ministers in the area, otherwise known as StudentNet. The first time I ever got to meet them, it was a lunch at Sam's on a Monday afternoon, and sitting diagonal across the table from me was a six-foot-four man with shoulders the width of the Incredible Hulk, and he introduced himself as Justin McAlpin. He shook my hand, and I felt like a small child. Through that time, I got to know Justin doing ministry in the area, spending time just eating lunch and hanging out, and I was able to get to know him. Um, Crazy side note, I spent a lot of hours in Justin's office long before I ever came on staff here. Dealing with the situation that we were walking through, Justin pastored me long before he became my pastor, and I appreciate him for that. 
It wasn't very long after that that uh, there was a meeting that was scheduled for a man to come in and share with us about how our church could be involved in a ministry in our schools and didn't really know anything about it, never heard of it before, but all of a sudden Larry Franks walks into the conference room at the church that I was previously at and sat down and began to pour out his heart about first priority in the ministry, looking for a church that would be willing to sponsor a school and partner with them financially for a year and... So at, towards the end of that conversation, I said, well, is there anything more that we can do? And he said, actually, there is. We're looking to get a, a, a place, a club started at Sobornville Road Elementary School. But me, I kind of assumed in my own mind, if I'm going to serve in a school, it's probably going to be in a middle school or high school. I'm working with students. God continued to lay that on my heart, and it wasn't long that I got in touch with Larry and said, you know what, I think I could, I could help with that. I show up there that day, and it, our club, our campus coach, introduced herself as Amanda McAlpin. took me a couple weeks to put the two together, but I did. And after a while, I got a random text message from Justin one night that said, would you ever do anything other than student ministry? He never gave me any clues, never opened the door to anything, never shared any details. He just said, I want you to pray about something. We'll get together next week or sometime. And standing outside of Foo Lens at a, after a, a dinner one night, Justin and Amanda kind of shared this process that, uh, that Westmead had been going through for quite some time, one that I'd never heard of, didn't even know existed. And he said, why don't we meet and talk about it a little more next week? And at Las Vias on 6th Avenue, sitting in the parking lot, Justin rolls in with Brother Scotty. And they come in, they sit down, and they share with me what Westmead is searching for, what the, the vision of this ministry is. And honestly, I thought, I'm not sure about that. So Brother Scotty's response, as David shared a couple of weeks ago, this place is kind of weird. His response was, well, why don't you come in and interview the search committee? That's backwards, I believe. Isn't it normally the committee that interviews the person? No, he was, and he said, just come in and talk to him, hear him out. And so I was able to do that, and through that, God began to open my eyes to the people here. And it wasn't long after that that God made it clear that this is exactly where he wanted us to be. I spent almost two years frustrated asking God, why, what's going on, why did you bring me here? And now I'm able to look back and see he brought me here to Decatur to meet a guy at Sam's to serve with an age group that I never have served in in my entire life to meet another person that would be influential in me being here. We just sang an incredible song that talks about how God's grace and mercy flows through us. All the days of our life, and even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's not how we planned, or when we don't understand it, some days we're able to look back and we're able to see how God has been at work, and we never knew it. And those are amazing times. Because I'm able to look back and see, even when I was angry, God was doing something miraculous. And he was just saying, be patient. I'll show you one day. God brought me to this place. 
Westmead has ministered to me and my family far more than you'll ever understand. I'm blessed to be here. Love you. That's a good word, bro. Well, hold on. Before you run off, uh, our families and, uh, oh, I tore the bag. Look at that. Our families, I would say our children, but our children and our families put together a little gift bag for you. And in honor and appreciation of what God's done for us, we appreciate you and how you guys have done. So thank you so much. Now, boys and girls, y'all are about to go upstairs. Are you ready? On your mark? Get set? I just... I know where you sleep, boy. <laughs> Go! And they're off. If you... Woo! It's party now. Oh, somebody's taking a shortcut up the stairs. I like it. If you're a kindergartner through third grader and would like to go to Children's Church with Mr. Ben and the plethora of youngsters, you can go at this time. If you want to hang out with us, that's okay, too. Uh, but uh, just wanted you to know that was an option for you K through third graders. Uh, and anybody else, technically, you know, we're not going to make you, like, call you down and tell you, don't, don't go upstairs. Uh, it'll be good. For the rest of you that are here, I always enjoy listening to Ben's story. Uh, I enjoy listening to how God was leading him and uh, the twists and turns of, of his story. And, you know, when we hear stories like Ben's or when we hear stories like Julie's or, or David's or Terrence's, you know, there's one connecting thread through all of their stories that we've heard this month. And it's faith. It's faith. It's so unique when you hear about how God was moving in their life and the prompts that he set up in their lives to open their eyes and to prepare them for where he was leading them and guiding them. And sometimes parts of their story, just like Ben said, sometimes it didn't make sense. Sometimes it, it was, it was, but why, why this? I mean, I'm going to do it because you said so, but I don't understand why. And it's just really neat to hear that. It's neat to hear from our staff to see how God had been moving in their life and how their faith in Christ led them here. I want a faith like Ben's. I do. I want a faith like Terrence's and, and Julie. I want a faith like David. And you look at that and you're like, how do I get there? You know, maybe you've asked that question before when in looking and evaluating kind of your faith journey. You know, like, how do I increase my faith? How do I get to that place where I'm led by that? Have you ever evaluated? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever asked yourself, what journey has your faith ever led you on? Ever thought about that? Ever thought about kind of where you are right now and asked yourself the question, where has faith delivered me? And when I say faith, I mean where has your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ and moving forward in that, where has that led you in your life? I'm not talking about logic where it just made sense for us to make this move, but I'm asking where have you seen your faith journey it stops along the way. Where have you seen your faith in action in that? Where have you seen your faith factoring into where you are today? In your life? In your job? In your marriage? 
in your school, in where you live? How has faith played a role in that in your life? Because here's a little trick. There's a tricky thing about faith, all right? The tricky thing about faith is that it demands action. You know that, right? Your faith demands action. We can't just say, well, I'm living by faith and not doing anything. See, if there's no action, without action, it's just belief. It becomes faith when action is put with it, when it's coupled together. Think about it. Y'all know what a trust fall is? Raise your hand if you know what a trust fall is. All right, here, for those who do not raise in your hand, because you legit don't know versus the ones who just don't want to raise their hand, because we're Baptists, like, I don't know. But uh, a trust fall is this. <clears throat> you get a group of people behind you that they would stand and they would put their arms out like this, and you have somebody standing in a higher level in front of them, and they turn their back to them, and they cross their arms, and they fall backwards, and these people catch them. Trust fall. Get it? It's only a trust fall. Faith only comes into play if you actually fall. Because if you're just standing up here, I believe they'll catch me. That's not faith. It's belief. It becomes faith when you fall. Marriage. Marriage only requires faith if you say yes. And I'm not talking about on your wedding day. I'm talking about every day. In your marriage, you say yes to your marriage over all other human relationships. Skydiving. Personally, have never done it. Personally, don't endorse it. I know some of you have, and we pray for you. I know at least one of you is getting ready to do it, and we pray for you. Skydiving only requires faith if you jump. You can be riding in a plane all day long and say, I believe, I believe in skydiving. I believe that's a pretty neat thing. But it comes from faith when you jump. Maybe it's more faith in your parachute than skydiving. But it takes faith to jump. Friendships. Friendships require, require faith only if you listen and do the right thing for your friendship. New tastes and foods. My personal favorite. It requires faith only if you take a bite. Faith demands action. James, in chapter 2, verses 20 through 24, says this, You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete By what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him, credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Listen to this last sentence. Verse 24 says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by just believing alone. Faith demands Action. So when it comes to our faith, when I stand in front of you and say, I want a faith like Ben's, I want a faith like David, how do you go about achieving that? I'm going to be completely transparent with you. I have no idea. I don't have a cookie cutter answer for you that we can all leave here in this three step that starts with the same letter program that we can put into action and our faith dramatically increases. 
But what I do want us to know is that as we look at our faith, we need to begin to prepare to respond in faith. How do we prepare ourselves? Like I said, I don't know, but I have a theory. And if you are interested in that theory, I invite you to turn to Hebrews 12 this morning. Hebrews 12, we're going to be looking in the first three verses of that that chapter, looking for what does it take to grow my faith? What does it take to grow and move in my faith? What does it take for my faith to become real and not just belief? Well, let me tell you, Hebrews, we don't know exactly who wrote Hebrews. There's a lot of different theories, but there is no clear authorship of Hebrews. So we're just going to refer to the author of Hebrews as the author of Hebrews. The author of Hebrews knew this. He knew his audience. And when he wrote this book, he was writing to a group of people who professed Jesus as Savior and Lord. But the unique thing about the audience of this chapter, the audience of this book, is that while they had acknowledged Jesus as King, as the Messiah, and had trusted to follow God, they had yet to do anything about it. They were a people of belief, but not a people yet of action. So I want us to pick up uh, in Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore... Stop. We got one word into this thing. We're already stopping. We got to ask the question, church. What question do we ask? What's the therefore therefore? Well, if we're going to start a passage with therefore, we need to know why we're saying it. Uh, If you look in Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11 is infamous throughout scripture is known as the hall of faith. Uh, And what it is, is in that chapter, it's just this incredible list of people who have lived out their faith, some uh, mostly in the Old Testament, that we see the demonstration of faith in their people and how God was honored in it. If you just look back for the last two verses in Hebrews chapter 11, it kind of sums up all of them together. It says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made Perfect. We see this incredible hall of faith. We see this incredible testimony of all these people who had gone before, who had lived out their faith, but they had not received what they had been promised. Not on this earth, at least. Because the fulfillment of their faith was to be present in the, in the, in the presence of God. So that's no wonder that they're not going to receive the fulfillment of their faith on this earth. But when they were delivered from this earth and brought into the presence of God, then they're, man... Can you imagine the fulfillment that was waiting for them there? But if you look in Hebrews chapter 11, in only 40 verses, 22 times, 22 times in chapter 11, the phrase, by faith, is used. 22 times. It's pointing to the fact that the actions were performed because of their beliefs, culminating in their accentuation of their faith we see that it wasn't just what they believed it's what they went and did and lived out so here's my theory here's my theory our faith my faith can come alive my faith can come alive and grow it can make a difference when we practice self-discipline 
according to our faith, according to God's word, as laid out in these three verses. So let's look back at Hebrews chapter 12. I promise we'll get past one word and move through it. Hebrews chapter 12, now that we know what the therefore is therefore, it says, we, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I believe if we have a formula here in these three verses that if we kind of take and unpack this passage of Scripture and see what type of self-discipline that we're being called to in our pursuit of God, And how that's going to expand and expound not just our belief, but moving forward in action, thus making it our faith. Let's look at this in the very first phrase that we see here. We are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Like we just said, in Hebrews chapter 11, we see this long list of all these incredible people who lived by faith and how God did great things for his glory and his kingdom through them. The writer of Hebrews is drawing their attention to those who have gone before. This should make all the sense in the world to us. Have you ever done something that you've never done before? The answer is yes, because we all have, right? Have you ever done something you've never done before that you were a little nervous about? Isn't it easier to be convinced by somebody who has done it if you've never done it? I remember graduating college and... Uh, the idea of going to seminary was quite daunting. It was quite intimidating. I'm sitting here thinking, man, three more years uh, of, of study and seminary? And that's like really smart people. And they know a whole lot more about the Bible than I do. And man, there's just no way. There's no way. And there was people like Kevin Cooper. And it was people that had gone before me. People who had poured into me and mentored me. That, that encouraged me and said, hey, you know what? I did it. I did it for this many years. This is how I did seminary. And like through their story, their personal experiences, I started realizing, hey, you know what? It, it doesn't sound so daunting. It doesn't sound so intimidating. I, I, think, I think I can give it a try. It makes sense for the people who have gone before us to listen to them in terms of where we're trying to go. At least two people in this room at some point in time became parents. You'll get there. I have a feeling that in that journey of of entering into parenthood before little Junior showed up, there was probably a little fear or intimidation or nerves or something that went along with it. And it was the people who already were parents that put their arm around us and said, hey, you've got what it takes. Hey, it's going to be all right. Hey, you're going to make it. Working in student ministry every year, it was the same conversation of, of eighth graders fixing to transition into the high school, which is now ninth graders transitioning into 10th grade. And it was just that like, but it's so big and it's so scary. And the people there are like giants. And it's like, you read the Old Testament? It's really neat. Uh, it was one of those, it's, can I do this? And when it's people come putting around and saying, hey, I've, I've been where you are and I've done what you're thinking about doing and it's going to be okay. That's what the author of Hebrews is trying to tell the people by this one phrase. 
since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Hey guys, y'all believe these things and it's time for your beliefs to turn into action, thus becoming faith. But I want to remind you of everyone who has done it before. The people just like you that were where you were at one point, but when they did take that step forward, when they did move and turn belief into faith, turn their belief into action, look at what God did. He's trying to coach them up, pointing them to something bigger, that all it takes is that first step and see what God can do. You're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And then he uses this next phrase. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us throw off everything that's weighing us down. Don't answer out loud. I would hope you not wouldn't. I don't think it would be a problem. But what weighs you down? Now, hold on, hold on. Before your mind even answers that question, I want to separate something. Did you see what's written here? It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. See, a lot of times we come to this passage in the text and we're like, oh, so we need to throw off the sin. Yes, we all know that our own sinfulness, our sin nature, our sinful desires, that is definitely a weight that burdens us, it weighs us down, it slows us down in our pursuit of Jesus, in our self-discipline of running the race, of taking a step forward. We're going to be hindered by our sin. And if you're aware of sin issues in your life, which I hope you would be, then maybe your first act of faith is moving forward to trusting God and giving those over to Him by getting people involved in your life that can help walk you through the issue of sin that you're dealing with. But I want you to see how it's worded. What are the things that easily weigh us down and the sin that so entangles? We know sin is going to handicap our spiritual growth and our development of our faith. But let me ask you the first part of that statement, church. What are the things that are weighing us down? What are the things that are weighing you down? And you're sitting there thinking, well, what's different from between that and sin? Well, the things that weigh us down may not necessarily be sin issues in our life, but things that we're allowing to drag us down. I mean, we've all seen a race before. They don't all go to the sideline and pick up a, a couple of barbells and start the journey. No. You let go of anything that's going to slow you down. I was watching the Olympics last time they were up. I don't know what year it is, but they were running and they're wearing like shorts that are like this long and like tank tops. They're wearing like as little as possible. Why? Because they don't want anything impeding them. They want to be able to run the race as fast as possible. So what's what's weighing you down? Just wrote down a couple of things, things that can potentially weigh us down. The love of stuff. There's nothing wrong with stuff. But how much are we in love with that compared to us being in love with the calling that God has placed on our lives? The love of stuff. Are there things in your life that hinder you from being plugged into a church body? Are there things in your life that hinder you from spending time in God's Word? Well, nothing really hinders me, Justin. I just can't find time for God's word. Well, tell me about that, that your favorite TV episode and what, what, what uh, episode are you on and how's that season going? We'll talk for 20 minutes about what happened last week's episode. But we can't find time for God's word. Breaks my heart when people, I have conversations with people that are like, yeah, we're, we're going to be at church Sunday, but 
You know, the game was on. It was a late night game and we just couldn't get up in time. That's a weight. And it's slowing us down in the development of what God is trying to build our faith into. The love of stuff. What about the love of position? Is that a weight? That you're pursuing an opportunity to make your name greater? To make you more important? Hey guys, here's the truth. Sometimes our love of position happens at its worst in the church. Because we got to make sure everybody knows everything we're plugged in and all the things that I'm involved with. And look at how many uh, plates I can juggle. Are we in love with position because we need to feel needed or wanted? That's a weight. Because we're trying to make everyone else happy. We're missing out on the journey that God's calling us to. Recognition, recognition, favor of man, these are weights. Yes, the sin that so easily entangles is something that will slow us down in our development of our faith journey, but also let us cast off any weight that is burdening, burdening us and holding us down. What are the weights in your life? Because the author here says, throw off everything that hinders. That doesn't mean like go live in a cardboard box and get rid of it. It says throw off everything that hinders you. What's hindering you and your self-discipline and your ability to be self-disciplined to pursue Jesus into action that your belief becomes your faith. Let us throw off everything. Look at the next phrase he uses. He says run with perseverance. Run with perseverance. Church, your faith journey, it's not a 50-yard dash. It's not a sprint. It's a lot more like a marathon. Actually, if you think about your faith journey, it's like an obstacle course marathon. Because there's a lot of hills and valleys and peaks. There's a lot of things that come against you. There's a lot of challenges along the way. But it says run with perseverance. Running with perseverance means you're steady means you're moving forward at a steady pace. You might be able to run faster if you wanted to, but you couldn't keep it up. It's about being steady. If Westmead Baptist Church could do one thing really well, I would hope that we as a church would continue to move forward with perseverance, that we move forward steady together. That it's not about who can do something more or who can do something faster or who can be better at something. It's about us as a church moving forward together at a steady pace. We might be able to go faster than we're moving. But what's more important is that we're moving forward together. We don't leave people behind. We don't sit and be envious about the people in front because we're all locked arms doing ministry moving forward together. Run with perseverance run with consistency when times are good it's easy to run when times are bad it's harder to run but when we run with perseverance whether it's good whether it's bad whether we're facing obstacles or whether we got a clear road we continue to move forward with consistency and when things do get hard and when things get heavy and when we are challenged what do we do we keep moving forward why Because that's what we've always done. 
It says run with perseverance. Run with consistency. Keep moving forward in a steady pace. And then what does he tell us to do? He's telling us to fix our eyes on Jesus. So initially, he's reminding us about the great cloud of witnesses, but now he's trying to tell us, fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the leader of our faith. Because if we're going to run a a race, if we're going to move down a road, if we're going on a journey where our belief is mixed with action to where it becomes our faith, then we need to have something, somebody to look at to lead us. And it's Jesus, church. It's Jesus. You fix our eyes on the leader and finisher of our faith journey. Why? Because just like in chapter 11, they, weren't, they were never received what they were promised on this earth because our journey, our goal, our prize is not going to be given by this earth. We'll get to that in a minute. When I was a kid, learning how to ride a bike, learning how to drive a car, my parents were persistent in telling me one thing over and over and over and over again. Justin, keep your eyes on the road. I'm sure you've never had to tell that to anybody else since you were teaching them how to drive. Justin, keep your eyes on the road. I remember my my brother, when he was helping me learn how to drive, he would say, Justin, when you're driving down the road, fix your eyes on the farthest ahead point and just stay focused on that. And you're just naturally going to go in that direction. Not good advice when there's traffic, for the record. I remember riding a bike. I remember learning how to ride a bike. It was yellow, had one of them big banana seats. It was ugly, but it was a good bike. I honestly think my father thought it was entertaining for me to practice learning how to ride a bike on trash day. Because everybody would put all their trash cans out by the road, and then it was time to go practice riding a bike. And all I could think about was, I don't want to hit these trash cans. So I'd be riding a bike, and it'd be like wobbly, you know, and kind of leaning left and right and going. And I'm sitting there just checking to see where are all the trash cans. And for some reason, my bike, it was like a magnet. It just kept drawing my bike over. I took out every trash can on our street. Like, this is why to this day, people in your neighborhood put their trash cans out first thing in the morning. Because of me. Uh, I always took out, because when I got on my bike, it was, where are the trash cans? And just, I would gravitate towards those trash cans and take them out. That's why they said, keep your eyes on the road. Don't keep your eyes on the trash cans. What you focus on is where you're going. You just acknowledged that in song a minute ago. In the second song we sang. That what you focus on, what your eyes are on, is what you're going to naturally be drawn to. And when we we focus, when we fix our eyes on Jesus' church, guess what? We're going to move towards Jesus. You and your family, when your family is focused on Jesus, your family is going to move towards Jesus. When we're afraid of what out there that could potentially harm us and all these things that are dangerous, when we focus on those things, guess where we're naturally going to gravitate towards? The things that harm us. The things we're afraid of. When we focus on trash, guess where we're drawn to? Trash. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus. And that's where we're naturally going to go. Why do we fix our eyes on Jesus? Because the next phrase, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Church, if you're going to be on a faith journey, if you're going to take your beliefs and bring action into the equation to where it becomes your faith, then it will not happen successfully without what we see here. Passion. 
If we're doing it just to do it, we're going to get tired of it and we're going to go find something else to do. But when it becomes our passion to grow in our faith, for our church to move forward from our belief to step out and turn into faith, then it has to be driven by passion as we fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because that's what he did. Look at how it words that. For the joy set before him endured the cross. Can you see his passion? Look, your journey is unique to you. Just like Terrence and Ben and Julie and David, as they came and shared with you their journey of the, how faith led them to Westmead, your journey is, is, is very unique just to you. But your journey will never be as hard as Jesus' was. And, and I know you've probably been up against some pretty hard things. I'm not judging your story or your history or your journey or whatnot, but you haven't had to take the journey that Jesus took. When he took on the weight of the sin of all humanity. Endured the cross, scorning its shame. Why? For the joy set before him. When I was a kid and I had all the vegetables on my plate, I didn't want to eat the vegetables. But you know that meatloaf that was sitting right there on the other side of that beautiful circle called a plate? Now that's the action right there. I could have eaten all the meatloaf, but guess what? My parents still weren't going to make me up and move until I ate all my vegetables. So what do you do? Other than scrape them under the table, you know? Rough crowd today. I ate my vegetables first. I ate the part I didn't like so that when I got to the last part, that was the flavor that was left in my mouth. That was the taste that was left over. That's why dessert's supposed to be last, because you get through all the other stuff and you enjoy the sweet stuff at the end. This is what Jesus was saying when we see his example, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, because he's willing to go wherever his journey of faith was willing to take him. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said to God, not my will, but your will be done. God, if there's any way to let this cup pass from me, I'm all in. But if this is what you want to do for your glory, sign me up, because your glory is greater than my wants. And the joy that's waiting for me on the other side of this thing, wow. There is nothing that's going to even slow me down or hinder me from celebrating what's waiting for me on the other side. Church, you know what we need to get a healthy perspective on? Death is coming for all of us, and we know it. But you know what? My death means that I get to be in the presence of Jesus. My death means that I don't have to deal with suffering or pain or hurt or tears or anything anymore. Because I'm going to be in the presence of God, where according to his word, I'm going to be made whole. I'm going to have a glorified body in his presence to where I will get to worship him in the fullness of life all the live long day. And that day never ends. I'm kind of looking forward to it. Church, if Jesus is our Lord and Savior, there is a joy that's waiting on the other side of whatever this world wants to throw at us. And it's worth it. It's worth it. And we get so caught up in, oh, woe is me, it's so hard, I'm dealing with this. Hey, you're not the only one, but your journey's not as hard as Jesus's is. And look what he did. His passion pushed him through the journey, the weight, the nastiness, because the joy that's waiting on the other side for him and for us, church, and for us, church, the joy that's waiting on the other side, it's worth whatever this world wants to throw at us. Because look at the next phrase. When Jesus did what he did, he sat down at the right hand of God. You know, when you win a race, 
you want to go celebrate with your family. Jesus endured the cross, scorning is the same for the joy set before him. And when he completed his journey, he went and sat down at the right hand of God. Because that's what's waiting at the end of the journey of faith for every believer. This is something we should be excited about. We don't throw the shroud over our face and, oh, it's going to be such... No, this is a great day. It's hard for the people who are left behind. Trust me, I know. But on that day, let us rejoice for the believers who are experiencing the joy that was waiting for them on the other side of enduring the things of this life. Can you imagine... Seeing Jesus completed his faith journey, crowned and seated at the right hand of the Father. Unless you're Stephen, then he's going to be standing. You'll hear about that soon on small groups. You should be there. So when we look at Jesus and we understand he's the leader and the author and perfecter of our faith, what does he comes back to us? He says, consider him who endured such opposition. And it's not just consider him to say, well, look how Jesus did it. You need to go to the cross, Justin, if you want your faith to it. No, the cross, I don't have a cross, physical cross, where they're going to nail me to it waiting for me. So I want us to look at Jesus and remember the salvation that was promised and came through him. But also to understand that if he can do that and keep going, what's on my plate's nothing. Consider him who endured such opposition, because if he can endure all that, and still be crowned with the victory? So can you, believer. And some of you need to wake up and hear that this morning. Some of you will need to wake up and get your eyes off of your sad sob story and in the Word of God to say, you're going to make it. Because King Jesus, the one you profess as Jesus, the Savior and Lord, He's already done it and He has made a way. That's why He's our leader. That's why we fix our eyes on Him. So that we too can overcome whatever this world has to offer because of the power of Jesus Name. Consider him who endured such opposition. If we consider him, then we recognize that nothing is going to stop us in our journey of faith. Now hear me on this. Some of y'all aren't peeling the layers back. Some of y'all are just saying, so you're saying I'm going to make it in life. It's hard. No, I'm not saying you're going to make it in life. I don't care how hard it is. I'm not saying that. Do not hear me say that. Because you're lying to yourself and you're going to put my name to it. And then I'm going to get mad at you. And then we're going to have a problem. Then there's drama. All right? Here's what I'm saying. You're not going to make it without the help and leadership of Jesus Christ. I'm not saying, hey, because you're a Christian, everything's going to be good. Your best life now. I'm not saying that, church. Because it's not about you. It's not about your struggles. It's not about your victories. It's about Jesus. Because at the end of our life, we're not all coming to your little healthy utopia that you're envisioning. We're going to a place where Jesus is king, where his kingdom come, where his will be done. That is the goal. That is the prize. That is the joy set before us. Jesus has already led us down that. And when we fix our eyes on him, he's leading us there every single day. And we can stand back and fold our arms and say, yes, I believe that. And you can believe that. And I hope you do believe that. But until you're willing to do something about it, it won't be faith. It'll just be belief. I want a faith like Ben's. I want a faith like David and Terrence and Julie. And in order to do so, I need to do kind of the same things that they do. Fix their eyes on Jesus. And move forward with the journey of faith he's called me to. There's going to be hard days. There's going to be discouraging factors. There's going to be obstacles. But what's the last thing it says here in verse 3? 
if we considered him who endured such opposition, you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's not an easy journey. It's not always fun. And it doesn't come without its share of heartache and headache. But when we remember Jesus, when we remember who he is and what he's calling us to, if we remember what he's already pulled us out of for those who are in Christ Jesus, and we realize that the journey of faith that he's leading us down for his glory, I can do that. I can go. I can follow. I can obey. I can submit. And when it's hard, I can trust. I can persevere. I can be consistent. After all, look around you, church family. If we're all moving forward together, who's going to stop us? Nobody. Nothing. So where's your journey of faith led you to today? How far down that race have you started? Are we standing at the starting line saying, I believe, I believe there's a finish line waiting. I believe there's some great things that can take place. I believe that. But we're still standing at the starting line. Or are we going to be a church that says, yes, I believe. Now I'm going to follow Jesus and go do something about it. Where's your faith journey led you? What evidences in your life can be attributed to your faith and action. Don't you want to add one more chapter? Don't you want to go one more mile? Because I'll go with you if you'll go with me. Heavenly Father, I, I don't know what this looks like for me, and, it, and, and whatever it looks like for me is radically different than what it looks like for every other believer in this room. But God, I pray that we, as a church, we be a church that doesn't just stand around and claim what we believe, but we show people who you are by how we live out what we believe. And it transforms us by our faith. God, I pray that you would receive all glory and honor for whatever comes out of this church that is reflecting of you. But God, every journey of faith in a church begins with an individual believer's faith in you. And God, I'm with David. I believe there are people here, Father, that they're standing at the starting line and they want to believe in you. And God, if that is anyone here, And help them know that that is a journey of faith that begins with a confession. A confession and an admission of sin that we've tried to do it our own way for too long. And then God, 